Welcome back, my friends, to another episode of the Shema Podcast. I appreciate, as always, tuning in to the show. And with the upcoming holiday of Hanukkah, of course, wanted to discuss and really get into the intermeeting and things we should be contemplating right now. But back by popular demand, I am bringing on our friend, David Block. Many of you have told me you loved having David on. And when Rabbi Yokoff Wolby told me he listened to both our podcasts, I mean, Rabbi Yokoff Wolby is either doing podcasts or learning Torah. I see him. I'm around him all the time. He's like, even at Shul, if there's like 10 minutes before Mika, when everyone else is sort of talking, he has his book in a text. Like, why waste 10 minutes gabbing when I could be learning Torah? So the fact that he listened to our podcast was uh, another set of messaging that I definitely need to have David back on. And I always just enjoy talking with him and sharing insights with them. So I'll bring him on right now and we'll get into it. And we'll discuss the inner meaning, what we should be contemplating for this upcoming holiday of Hanukkah. Welcome to the Shema podcast, the podcast for the perplexed, where Torah insights intertwine through personal stories, as well as interviews with leading Torah scholars demonstrate the empowering qualities of Torah and mitzvot. For more great Torah learning through Torch, the Torah Outreach Center of Houston, go to torchweb.org. Now to the show. David, welcome back to the show, my friend. Hello, Dan. I'm happy to be here, and I'm honored to be here. Thank you. I have literally had a lot of people tell me that they love having you on. I don't know if it's the Alabama accent, the wisdom all those things in combination, but we all enjoy having you on and, and hearing your insights. And you know, one of the things when we were speaking last week about doing a podcast together, you said something that resonated with me because it's really the reason I started the podcast, which was, look, I just want to talk to David Block before he knew anything about Torah and reach out to that guy. You know, and I said, that's why I started the podcast because exactly. I'm trying to reach out to the Dan Coleman you know, 15 years ago, who's living as an atheist, knew nothing about Torah, and opened his eyes. And I think, you know, when, once you have something special, once you are given a treasure and something truly precious, you want to share with everyone you love. And I think that's what brings us together on this podcast today. So I'm going to turn it over to you and just sort of get your thoughts with the upcoming day of Hanukkah, some thoughts in your mind of what you think Jews should be contemplating, especially you know as we spoke in the context of current world events. Thanks a lot, Dan. As usual, I spend a lot of time thinking about this kind of stuff, and you know, ever since October seventh, along with the rest of the Jewish world and and others, you know, friends of ours across the world. You know, we've really been affected by what's going on, not only with the war and the hostages and related things, but also with the rise of anti-Semitism, you know, the way that you know, assimilated Jews are getting, you know, a, a heavy taste of anti-Semitism, maybe they haven't experienced before. It's just really an interesting time because at a time where the world, a lot of the world, seems to be coming at us in a negative way, in an anti-Semitic way. The, the people of Israel and what we call Kalal Yisrael, you know, the, the, the Jewish people across the world, in my lifetime, and I'm not going to say how old I am, 
those of you who know me know, and I, I, it's it's a subject that shall not be spoken of. But in my lifetime, I've never seen the Jewish people so united. I've never seen Israel so united. And across denominations, across levels of observance, you know, that doesn't mean all Jews are supportive. You've got some people who tend to, for whatever reason, prefer the Palestinian side, but they're they're a small, small, small minority. I, I'm just overwhelmed by the unity of, of how the Jewish people have come together. And I believe you know more about the history of Hanukkah and the details of it than I do. But to me, Hanukkah, the events that led to Hanukkah, the defeat of the Greeks and retaking the temple against all odds and rededicating it and the miracle of the eight eight nights that, that, the, that the oil lasted and, and all those things. I don't mean to gloss over them because they're all miracles and important, but one of the things that I've always learned or heard about Hanukkah is how it shows what can happen when the people of Israel or the Jewish people you know, come together in pride, don't assimilate, because that's what the Greeks were wanting the Jews in Israel to do. They wanted them to, to give up their Jewish practices and assimilate into Greek culture, and that's what led to the, to the Maccabees' rebellion. But um, it, it just, it's, it, to me, Hanukkah is all about standing up for Judaism, standing up for the people of Israel, connecting to the people of Israel, telling anti-Semitism, yeah, buddy, I know you're out there, but I'm not giving in to you, and I'm going to fight you if I have to. And so what a message for right now, you know, that's right. it's it's what we need to hear. It's what is, is really going on. And it's amazing. The rabbis always tell us that, you know, every day we read the Torah, uh, according to our yearly cycle, every holiday, everything, every, every page of Talmud always has a relevance for what's going on in the world today or in our individual world today. And it's just amazing how relevant this Hanukkah is, maybe more so than any in my life. And it's, you know, it's the holiday of lights in what some can see as very, uh, as a very dark world. You know, what we as observant Jews, or at least Jews that observe Hanukkah, uh, what we do is we bring more light into the world. And that is by lighting the candles. Literally, we are bringing light into the world. And so I think that's uh, something I've been thinking a lot about. Those are great ideas. You know, the the halakha on a menorah, on lighting the menorah, is that you're supposed to put it near a window facing out of your home for this very idea that we are supposed to be shining a light out into the, the world around us. And I think that's a sort of a good area maybe we could focus on is how do we become that light? And you've already addressed part of the way in which we do that, which is to not assimilate. If we're like everyone else, then we're there's no way for us to be a light unto them. And this is one of the reasons God did create anti-Semitism when he gave us the Torah, because he knew it can be a force that will cause us to unite and recognize who we are. When the rest of the world says, we don't care if you vote the same way we vote, are dressed the same way we dress, they all come forward at certain points through history and said, you're all Jews. And they are 
sending a message to us that Hashem wants us to hear because you don't hear any political infighting in Israel anymore about the decisions that BB made on the court system. Like that's doesn't matter anymore. And I think that is an important message. And I think, again, beyond the unity, which is extremely important to Hashem, matter of fact, you know, I've, I've really been trying to expand this idea of loving every Jew, this mitzvah. So when I saw an article about Jews protesting at a pro-Palestinian rally, when I when I looked at these Jews, what I said to Hashem is, look at these precious Jews, so full of passion for having justice in the world. If only you had put them in a place where they had your Torah and understood the history of the Jewish people, they would be at the right rally. But it's like, but who else takes time out of their day to advocate for justice? Just it's just misguided. But even they have this remarkable quality about them. And I remind, I say that to myself a lot, but also sort of telling Hashem, like, you cannot fault any of us brought up in such an exile where many of us are in an exile of an exile. Meaning, you know, when you're in a Jewish community, you get brought up learning Torah, you're in exile in the United States of America, anywhere outside of Israel. And matter of fact, Israel is considered exile in this current state and time. We don't have a temple, a Sanhedrin court, and the Torah is not our constitution. But when you are brought up with void of Torah, it's like an exile within an exile. It's very much darkness. And this is the time of year when the days become shorter. And this is the whole idea of Hanukkah, is that now our light shines a lot brighter. And you know, when you look at the, the idea of Greek culture and what they were wanting us to subscribe to was an idea that nature is being run independently of any creator. And therefore, physicality should be enjoyed for its own merit as it ends to itself. Physicality, prosperity, sexual licentiousness, all these things, just enjoy them. And I was reading an interesting idea from Rabbi Nachman where really distilled down this idea of DOS which means knowledge in Hebrew. And I believe, I should have fact-checked this before I got on this recording with you, David, but I believe the first time the word das is mentioned in the Torah is when it says, and Adam knew Eve, referring to the intimacy between them through marital intimacy. And you think about that act, it's there's nothing between each part beyond clothing. It's a total knowing each other. And what Rabbi Nachman was saying, the idea of dos, true dos, is seen beyond nature, just like Hashem, when he did not want us to live in the desert in that spiritual cocoon, but wanted us to go into the land of Israel. He wanted us to be able to find him beyond nature. And that's the test right now that he wants us to do, is, is seeing beyond all that. But we could probably go back a little further, because right now, you know, this, this battle we're having with Hamas is sort of this battle with Ishmael, the descent of Ishmael. If you look at the, you know, the, the our family tree with our our cousins, you know, we have first Abraham has Ishmael with his maidservant Hagar, and then he has Isaac with Sarah, and Ishmael he sends away, and then from Isaac we get Yokov and Esau. And Esau gets sent away. So you see this branch of souls being formed in the pieces that are being sort of 
pushed off to the side. And, and really what this battle with the Greeks, the Romans, what became, you know, Western civilization, the church, the United States of America, we are living in Esau's world. This is Roman culture. Rabbi Cohen told me, who is a rabbi who teaches for torts and teaches Kabbalah, that it's not by accident that during World War II, the ad was, Uncle Sam wants you. Because the angel that in our last week's Parsha that Yokoff was struggling with, Esau's angel, was the angel that we abbreviate and call Sam. And he is the guardian angel of the United States of America, Western civilization. And this is where we find ourselves in this battle. I mean, you see the, the arrogance of mankind that they think they can destroy the world. Like, it's, it's amazing that, you know, when you and I grew up in the 80s, remember the, the Cold War and all the movies coming out about yeah. their, you know, remember all that? And it was going to be yeah. this this horrible end fate of mankind. Oh, yeah. Wait, wait a second. I'm sorry. I don't remember that. I was too young. <laughs> I don't remember that. <laughs> no, I did. That was I like that. Let's, I mean, that was like a big deal in the 80s, like this whole idea with this Cold War with Russia, right? What's amazing is that Rabbi Yokoff will be told me that the Jews who grew up in a Torah observant world, knowing Torah, not even a concern on their mind whatsoever, because they know Hashem's not going to let anyone destroy the world. And, and now you see it with this fear that will destroy the world through global warming, or climate change. And I'm not taking away from our responsibility as a mitzvah to be fiduciaries over the world around us, but the idea that we will somehow destroy his world, that whole belief system is based on nothing but atheism. Because whenever I have my friends I grew up with that are huge atheists, when I start becoming religious, you know, their holiday was Earth Day. They were really, you know, concerned about global warming. And I remember telling them, it's like, you see, everyone has a religion in the end <laughs> because Absolutely. You, everyone wants to believe in something bigger than him. So, yeah, there, there's, uh, I wish I could remember who said it, but there's a famous quote along the lines of, you know, uh, when, when people don't believe in God, they'll believe in anything. And those things become their God. I wanted to ask your thoughts on something you mentioned earlier about what uh, Rebbe Nachman said about true to us. He said, if I, if I heard you right, that really that, that kind of knowledge, that kind of intimate, full, no barriers between the two of knowledge between you and Hashem means that is re it's realizing that there is no physical. I, I wanted to ask your thoughts on would another way of saying that be that, yes, there is a physical world that we're obviously implanted into. But that's not what is real in terms of what matters to, to our mission and to our soul. And if anything, it's a, it's a distraction. It's a barrier to connecting to God, to knowing what our real purpose is and, and that sort of thing. Or was he really saying literally there is no physical? He wasn't saying there's no physical. Maybe I should say that over again. But think of like nature is the garment Hashem uses to interact with us. Right. So it's it's very much real. And it's important to be observe everything in this world because everything he created in this world is there as a metaphor for us to develop a relationship with him. It's just the idea that Hashem is not intimately controlling all the events around the world for the ongoing improvement of mankind. 
Gotcha. You know, there's a great book I'm rereading for the second time by Rabbi Akiva Tatz, T-A-T-Z, called Living Inspired. And I think the last time I read it was like five or six years ago. It's a fantastic read. I'm reading it again and realize I forgot a lot of the concepts. So I'm reading a chapter, putting it down, contemplating it, and then rereading it again. Because I'm afraid, you know, when you read one of those books and you're afraid, like, if I put it back on the bookshelf, I don't want the ideas to rest on the bookshelf. I want them implanted in my mind and the way I interact with the world. But he brought this whole idea of time and the holidays throughout the year to a much deeper level than the way I understood it before. So I've, I've always said, one of things I always learned was that time is not linear. It's like a spiral moving higher. And so we have these similar points in time, but Hashem is constantly orchestrating events so as to tap into those specific energies throughout the year and correct them. And so it's not only that we know we don't celebrate Passover to commemorate the Exodus from Egypt, is that the Exodus from Egypt occurred as a result of the same energies that needed rectifying back then as they do now. And the same goes for Hanukkah. And I think really, so what was the issue back during the time of the Maccabees revolution and the miracles of the temple and the, the oil lasting eight days? It's this whole idea of us battling throughout history, the Jewish people, of getting the world to see that the world does not operate on a system that is independent from its creator and helping the world see that Hashem is interacting with us at all times. And the most important lesson and the reason that time was picked out as something for us to go back and revisit is because at that point in time, the Jews said no. Like you said, if we fight assimilation, he will always support us. I think this is the time of year to build our resolve that if we're going to be a light of the nations, that means we have to be distinct. We have to know what that means. Well, you know, it, it happened in Nazi Germany and in Israel that in, in Germany back in the late 1800s and through the early 1900s until the, the Holocaust and war, you know, Germany was was known as the most, you know, uh, liberal nation in the West and highly educated and Jews badly wanted to assimilate and be a part of that and be, you know, as close to Christian members of that society as they could be while still holding on to some Judaism. And so they they did. They 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 created these reformations to Judaism to try to be more like the Christians. But when Hitler came, he didn't care how assimilated you were. You know, if you're a Jew, you're a Jew. And it was the same thing with the attacks in Israel. I'm not saying that the Jews were were that they were attacked on October 7th were were all you know secular or whatever, but they certainly were a high proportion of them were very much in favor of trying to help out the Gazans and to help raise their standard of living. And they hired them to come work in their kibbutz, you know, to, to, so they could, people could have the financial wherewithal to lift their family out of poverty and so forth. When Hamas came through the, the, through the breach in the fence, they didn't care. They're Jews. So it's almost like, you know, you can't, (laughs) this is a totally wrong way of saying it, but it's like, you can't shed it. So own it. (laughs) It's like, you can't, I mean, you know, uh, you're still a Jew to the people that are anti-Semitic, no matter how un-Jewish you are. I wanted to make that point about the fallacy of 
man, if I just act more like the people around me, it'll be better for me in the long term. You know, my Judaism won't be held against me. That that has proven false in our history. Right. It's a promise made in the Torah, and it's been in all the empirical evidence over the last 3,300 years has proven that time and time again. Hashem means it. We have a, a very important responsibility. He wants us to be distinct in order to elevate the rest of the world. And I think, you know, and we brought this up before, but I know when I was just sort of growing up in the secular world, reform world, that a lot of Jews have a hard time stomaching this idea of us being the chosen people. Because by nature, we come from Abraham and we have this sense of humility within us. But I think to understand that properly is that it wasn't that God chose us, is that we chose Hashem. We chose his Torah and we chose him. And we should not at all be thinking with a sense of entitlement, but with a sense of responsibility. That's what that means. And the question every Jew needs to ask themselves is, are they going to live up to that responsibility to the best of their ability? And I've been thinking about this a whole lot since you and I talked uh, recently, but also, you know, off and on for years. But um, a couple of things I wanted to say about it. One is, like you said, being the chosen people or our purpose to be a light into the nations. When you study the Torah, you learn that God created the world on every level of existence. There's a hierarchy. You know, when he created the world. The first days of creation are, are, are creating like literally the, you know, the, the actual physical world, the, the land and the seas and the skies. But when he started making living creatures, you know, each time he created a living creature, he started off with, with swarming things and then birds and then land animals and then, you know, man, you know, and there's a hierarchy in everything that God creates in the physical world. And even within Jews, there maybe maybe hierarchy isn't the right word. An order, you know, roles, functions, everything has its purpose. And even within Jews, you know, there's the people of Israel, there's the Levites, and there's the the Kohanes. And yeah. you know, it it's like that with people too. And we are supposed to our our role is to show the world the light that comes from realizing that God is out there and that he wants a relationship with us and that he, you know, gives us rules to to live by, to make this world what it, what it can be in its fullest potential. That's what you meant earlier when you said it comes with a responsibility, but it also goes to show that within Judaism, you know, I mentioned the term Kalal Yisrael, the whole Jewish people earlier. And I think I think it's important for everybody to know, because there are, at least I hope there are people listening to us that were like you and I were at the beginning, very beginnings of our journey that are kind of, you know, they want to learn more about, you know, uh, they want to become more connected to the Jewish traditions and the and to Jewish roots, you know, but for a lot of reasons, they they just haven't to put their foot in the water or they haven't jumped in the water yet. And I want to speak to those people because you're part of Kalal Yisrael. We all contribute to the mission of the Jewish people by just doing the things that we can do, by doing the mitzvahs that we can do, 
you know, it'd be great if we all did them all, but, but, but God created me knowing that I would be here in Huntsville, Alabama on this day at my level of observance, doing what I could do. That's why he created me. And that's why I'm here is to fulfill that purpose and to continue growing. And I want everybody else to realize that too, that, that, and Hanukkah is the perfect time because of what we're, you know, at least in part because of the ideas that we're talking about. Now, now is a perfect time to help out Kalal Yisrael, to connect to Kalal Yisrael, to, to stick your toe in and do a mitzvah, light the candles of Hanukkah, uh, give charity during those eight days. We're like one body. I think you've, you've talked to me about that before and maybe even on the podcast before. It's like, you know, I may be, you know, a small part of a little bit of or the pinky toenail and somebody else may be the heart, but I'm doing my role, you know, and, and, and when we all do our role, you see things like the Maccabees <laughs> and the victories they had. You see things like the people of Israel, uh, you know, the people of Israel, when we, you know, uh, came back uh, to Canaan and conquered it. You see it when, with what's going on with Israel now, the modern miracle that we're, that the state of Israel even exists. When, when we are unified and we recognize that we're Jews and we're not assimilated and we're proud of being Jewish, it, it always ends up well, at least as far as I'm aware. No, 100%. I mean, at the, we, we have an obligation, obviously, like you said, to, to fulfill the Torah. But Hashem knows this is a deep exile. Many of us were born with, you know, what, what what's called in the Torah captive children, meaning there's a whole area of Talmud where discussed if a Jew is brought up captive by someone else, he's obviously not responsible for fulfilling the mitzvot. He didn't know about them. And so we, we live in an era where majority of us are brought up as captive children. We were never exposed to Torah. But once we get that light, once we hear a podcast, once we, whatever it may be, we need to begin to pursue it. And as I mentioned, the, the the Torah is the interface Hashem created for the Jewish people of finite creation to connect to their infinite creator. I, I want to discuss some of the things around, you know, like you and I, the way we are brought up. I, I mentioned this to you. When I grew up, we had instead of a menorah in the front window, we had a Christmas tree and we had menorah on the other side of the house. And my family who grew up in the South, my mom's from Birmingham, Alabama. My father's from Nolens, Louisiana. And what they were trying to do, and they were trying to take the same ideas that were sort of happening in Germany at the turn of the last century is like, look, if we're going to have a successful life, the United States of America, let's blend in and be like them. And they would always say like, you know, there's nothing religious about what we're doing. It's a pine tree. It smells nice. It did smell nice. And what's religious about a fat man in a red suit that I convinced you that was bringing toys to you once a year? There's nothing religious about it. And they're right. There was nothing religious about it. But there's also nothing religious about Hanukkah. And that right. is the the slippery slope we play when when we're adapting and not keeping ourselves and making ourselves distinct. You know, there's these upcoming holidays, besides our holiday, but you know, there's the the Christmas holiday, there's New Year's, you know, and as I've learned about like the history of Christmas, and especially the history of New Year's Eve, and the fact that I was involved with those, you know, I think every Jew needs to know like where those holidays came from, and and why, if we want to be distinct, they're not things we should be participating in. 
I'm not going to get into the whole history about Christmas, but the date was changed considerably from the 25th. But I want to get to sort of like the, the New Year's Eve element because there was a Pope Sylvester that wanted to form an alliance with the Roman government. And they had one thing in common. They both hated Jews and they wanted to kill Jews. That was the alliance. And if you study Christian history, I tell anyone who's in business, like if, if you're in a business where you want to do lots of acquisitions, study the church because they knew exactly how to do it. You go and you and you acquire their cultures and incorporate them into your own. And that's where the Christmas cheek came from and Santa Claus and the Christmas caroling and all those things. But I want Jews to understand this about New Year's Eve is that what Rome did was they always had a period of time where there was a free fall to go out and kill Jews. And it was during this period of time between December 25th and December 31st. And they would go out, they would get drunk, often, you know, going through the neighborhoods naked, and they could kill Jews, rape Jews. So this whole period of December 25th through December 31st was for most of our history as Jews, the most horrifying experience. And so many Jews have a, a custom of not studying in the middle of the night because at that point in time, they couldn't light candles because they had to turn all the lights out and make sure they were hidden from the Christians and the Romans that would come out during that period of time and inflict harm on them. So when I learned this and really was studying like what was going on back then, me going out and celebrating back in my 20s when I used to go out and party a lot, but celebrating New Year's Eve was no different than celebrating, because I was basically celebrating Pope Sylvester's birthday, who killed so many Jews and created so much havoc and horrible things for them. It was akin to me going out and celebrating Hitler's birthday. Because I know a lot of people now would say, Dan, come on, that's not why I go out and party on New Year's Eve. I party just because it's that's not what it means anymore. But if I were to say, would you go out and party if, if you found out it was Hitler's birthday, they would say, no way. There's no way I would do that. And the only difference between Hitler and Pope Sylvester is that we, we have images in our minds of the Holocaust. We have pictures. We've seen videos. We've heard people speak who lived through those atrocities. That's why that's more real. But I, I promise you, my friends, that the atrocities that were committed to our brothers and sisters under the reign of Pope Sylvester during this time of year were just as horrific. And I think, you know, when you hear this, you learn this, it's it's a reason, it's a way for us to be distinct. Don't get wrapped up in all this absolute anti-Semitic nonsense. I just wanted to add that Pope Sylvester also convinced Constantine to prohibit Jews from living in Jerusalem. It's amazing to know how consistent in our history the the people that want to kill us and rape us and oppress us. It, it's been a part of our, our history for a long, long time. But on the positive side, we've survived. You know, the Roman government didn't survive. I was talking about the, the family tree in the beginning and our first cousins from Ishmael, which became the Muslims, and then Esau, which became Greece and Rome and uh, Western civilization and Christianity. You know, that initial battle, the biggest battle took place over the most time with the descents of Esau. And look, you and I, we know us Christians, we love our Christians friends. Okay. It's not like, but the reality is, is more Jews have died over history from Christians than Muslims. However, 
in the end of times, the final battle would be with Ishmael because now you're getting up closer to that root, that core, that root that began with Avraham. And so that's where it would culminate. But the, the reality is it has always, and we should be grateful that so many Christians now support us and support Israel, but it has not been like that throughout history at all. You know, they would take our Talmud, which was written by hand. There was no printing press. They were writing that by oh, hand yeah. and they would burn wagon loads of it. And the reason they would do so is because the Talmud, the oral Torah that became redacted into the Talmud is where we discuss the idea of Mashiach. Right. And that Mashiach would be like Moses was Mashiach, King David was Mashiach, and then we would have another Mashiach from the descendant of the Davidic line. And it would be a man, a man with a mother and a father, and but would be a tremendous Torah scholar and would bring all the Jews back to Torah observance restore the Sanhedrin court, and restore the temple. Since our Torah contradicted everything about them, instead of reconsidering, they they would burn our Talmud. And I'll tell you something else that took place. There's a, a prophecy, Isaiah 7, that discusses how that the if the Jews did not improve themselves during the time of the first temple, that Hashem would use the king of Assyria to come down and destroy the temple and send us into exile. And as always throughout history, he says he'll use the other nations as a stick when necessary. And then Isaiah goes on to talk about his wife and how she's pregnant and about this would all sort of come to fruition when his son is born. And so the Christians read this every Christmas Eve. Why do they read this? Because the translation they have is that Instead of King Assyria coming down, it was an angel that went rogue against Hashem's will named Lucifer that came down and would be rectified by a woman who had a virgin birth. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm looking for a good translation of Hebrew, I'm going to rely on the rabbis at Art Scroll. You know, you would think at this point in time that they would go in and say, you know what, we made a mistake. We didn't translate the Hebrew correctly, but they don't. But they they continue to promote this, and and that's why the church was has always not liked the fact that we were studying Talmud. And finally, when we did start printing it again, we literally had to carve out sections of it, and then we were able to restore them in the last 100 years. We kept them sort of underground because otherwise they would they would burn them. Thank God that the relationship with the majority of our Christians has that's been resolved, and we fought the battle with Esau's grandson Amalek. Who this is interesting, uh, David, but someone was telling me in the Talmud, it talks about where the descendants of Amalek went to, and the direction and the distance is the area that became Germany. Oh, wow. And that was the, the Nazi party. So, and, and now we're at this sort of final battle with Ishmael. But the, the same principle comes into play. If you study Jewish history, you will understand that we've been going through these same things every year. It's just the actors change, the circumstances change, but they're the same energies that we need to rectify. So we're talking about, you know, things we can be doing to, to make us as a menorah shine out in the world. And it, and it really is about learning our Torah, picking up and doing mitzvot. That is how we connect to our creator. It's how we let them out in this world. Even if we don't understand it, you know, I see David is now wearing seat seats. How could David wearing these strings hanging from his four-corner garment, how could that elevate the world? It does. 
Except that we have a finite intelligence and our infinite creator saying, this will repair my world. You know, a lot of the fallacies or misconceptions that we've talked about, it's the fallacy of I don't have enough time to do X. Right. You know, in the past, I would say, I need to put on to hell this morning, but man, I'm in a rush. I need to get to work. I'll do it later. And then lo and behold, world gets in the way. I don't do it. It's sundown. And I'm like, oh, crap. Okay, well, I'll do it tomorrow. Now I try to realize when when I catch myself saying that, like, I don't have time to do that right now. I'm like, it takes like five minutes. <laughs> I've got right. five minutes, you know, and I do it. And it's never had a calamity happen because I stopped and did the mitzvah that I was wanting to do. We all make choices and no one is is pressuring any, you know anyone to do 613 commandments today, tomorrow, or next year. But do do more than you did yesterday. Push yourself to do more a little bit because you can. And when you do, like the way I see it, it's like it contributes to the purpose that the whole Jewish people have, and the whole Jewish people play a role in or heaven, you know, coming down on earth and, you know, who wouldn't want to help out in that endeavor. So, I mean, just think, I mean, I'd, I'd be willing to bet that every Jew on October 7th and afterwards felt an insane connection to what was going on. And I think I, I credit you for part of, you know, you among others, Dan, for realizing that that was our soul. That That was our soul reaching out to the rest of the, the Jewish souls in the world, that instinct to do it, even though we've never, and, and and a lot of people I know, a lot of Jews I know, including myself, have taken on, you know, more mitzvahs or, or more things that identify with J- Judaism since October 7th. And for those of you that that's a relatively new endeavor, that's your, that's your soul telling you that that's what you should be doing and what we all should be doing. And when you do it, you feel good. It is so precious to Hashem when he sees someone who is brought up in total darkness, climbing and fighting their way back and doing something that that is not built into their morning repertoire. You're making more of an impact on the heavens when you do those small things, starting from where it's just, there's nothing habitual about it for you. David, I appreciate as always you coming on the show. So you're a great inspiration to be talking with on a regular basis. I know the audience feels the same. Thank you very much. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting Torch so they can continue to spread Torah wisdom to the world by making a donation at torchweb.org and clicking donate in the top right corner of the page.